this week I took a trip to see Louth Livestock Market in action. We've another how did he do it chat with a multi-award winning Lincolnshire crop producer. Yeah, we've been using the same sort of system for the last 20-22 years now which is basically what I'd call intensive minimum tillage. And with the fly tipping stats released this week, how do they look and what's to be done about it? Plus Sean Sparling with Agronomy Advice, Openfield's Kit Dickinson reviews the markets and we'll see what the weather has in store for us this week. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Steve Orchard. Good morning. Hope you've had a good week. More new cases of highly pathogenic avian influenza have been confirmed this week with outbreaks in new areas of England and Northern Ireland. Bird flu of the H5N1 strain was confirmed in commercial free-range hens near Sudbury, South Suffolk on Wednesday, also near Thirsk and Pocklington, East Yorkshire, and near Barrow-on-Saw in Leicestershire. All the birds on the farms will be humanely culled and a three-kilometre protection zone and ten-kilometre surveillance zone have been put in place around each of the infected sites. But there is some good news for UK lamb producers. Lamb exports to the United States can resume from the 3rd of January following the removal of a decades-old ban. Over 300 million new customers will soon be able to purchase British lamb in a deal worth £37 million in the first five years of trade. The ban was imposed back in 1989, preventing UK lamb exports from entering the US due to concerns surrounding BSE. Not such good news for rural areas and Lincolnshire in particular is a further increase in fly tipping this year. The CLA's Alison Provis has the numbers. Alison. Nationally, the picture is a 16% increase on last year. So last year it was just under a million incidents uh, and this year uh, it's over 1.1 million. For Lincolnshire specifically, we've run some figures and... They have nearly doubled from the statistics last year. Last year it was around just over 7,000 incidents. Uh, This year it's just over 13,000. The main point of the stats is that this is on uh, public land, so it doesn't include incidents on private land. So the picture in reality is way more than that. The rural areas are targeted because of their remoteness and the ability to get away with it. And the CLA has an action plan, five points that you would like to see brought in. Talk us through what the five points are, Alison. Imposing penalties to better reflect the seriousness of the crime and the uh, cost to the landowner of clearing it up. Another element is enforcing fines for home and business owners whose waste is found fly-tipped because fundamentally those of us that, that do need to dispose of household waste it's our liability to make sure that we use somebody who's licensed so um, it's making sure that you do use somebody who is a licensed waste carrier to take away your waste it's also about developing new ways to clear up and support victims this member that i was speaking to the other day what she's facing is is shocking and we are looking at ways that um, we can really make sure that the private landowner who basically is a victim and is being asked to pay to clear it up for example in um, hertfordshire and northamptonshire their uh, police and crime commissioners have set up funds to assist landowners to, to clear up the uh, fly tip. So you can apply to the fund um, for funding to have it taken away. So there is no cost to the landowner with those schemes, which is good news. And that's something that we would love to see more initiatives like that being taken up um, across England. PC Martin Green from Lincolnshire Police. You've had to deal with many incidents of fly tipping over the years. Do you think the creation of the new Rural Crime Action Team in Lincolnshire is going to help? I would like to think so, yes. We're looking at hopefully doing more work in relation to fly tipping because living on a farm myself, I know what it's like. Uh, It's horrendous when you come across some of the stuff that's been dumped. 
the farmers trying to keep it tidy, the, the landowners, gamekeepers, something else are trying to look after it, and yet you get these other people just come along and just fight it wherever they want to. Is there anything that the general public can do to help? Oh, crikey, yeah. If they see fly tipping, uh, report it. Report it to the council if they need to, if it's days later. But if they see it actually happening there and then at the time, ring in on Lincolnshire Police, ring in on 101, you know, obviously non-emergency, or if it's actually happening there and then, it's an offence taking place, then it's a case of ring 999. Try and get as much information as possible, registration numbers, make, model, colour, as much as you can. If you can get a photograph of it happening there and then, try and get a picture. Don't put yourselves at risk. Some of these people doing this aren't very nice people, you know, so we wouldn't want people getting into confrontations and fisticuffs at the roadside. Now, don't get involved, but let you guys know as soon as possible. Exactly, yes. And there is a responsibility, isn't there, on a householder or a business, if somebody sort of knocks on the door and says, I'll get rid of that waste for you, mate, give us 50 quid or whatever. They're still responsible, aren't they, if that waste isn't disposed of properly? Very much so, yeah. And the people have actually been fined in relation to, yeah, we've got a washing machine or, you know, um, fridge freezer taken away. Well, the, the scrappy will take what metal work he, he or she wants off that and then they'll just fly tip the rest of it. Well, if we can put that back to the householder, the, the person that wanted it removing in the first place, and we can prove that they failed to use somebody who was, you know, authorised, then, yeah, they, they can end up getting fined as well. The trouble is, I suppose, so, we're a rural county, fairly sparsely populated. It's it's easy for a truck just to back down the lane, dump its stuff, get yeah. away and not be seen. Middle of the night, there's nobody moving around. And it's so easy for them, isn't it? Yeah. PC Martin Green from Lincolnshire Police and Alison Provis from the CLA. Thank you. In the new year, I'm delighted to say we'll be bringing you weekly updates from the sales at Louth Livestock Market, courtesy of auctioneer Oliver Chapman. I called into the market the other day, had a chat with Managing Director and Animal Welfare Officer Simon Williams, who gave me a bit of the history of the market. Been here a very, very long time. It's sighted, for those who know Louth, you know, very prominently in the middle of the town. It's been here for centuries. It wasn't the quarry just up the road and now it's here. We call this the new market. It's a relatively, you know, I think it's 1980s built, but it's still called the new market. It's very much part of rural life and has been for decades. And which animals are you handling through the market? Sheep and cattle. Uh, used to be pigs a long time ago, but not for quite a long time now. On a Monday afternoon, we have prime cattle, bulls, steers and heifers. And then twice a month, we have store cattle sales. And then we run our sheep sale every Monday afternoon too. And there's prime lambs all going into the food chain. So it's very much a calendar-based schedule of sales really i mean it's been for all involved in farming an incredibly difficult 18 24 months how has the market side of things been faring up well just before lockdown one newark livestock market closed its doors for the final time we made a decision three or four months later that we would move to a monday and that coincided with quite a big uptake in numbers through here so that's helped so regionally there's Louth, there's hull um, Selby and Melton Mowbray. So we sit in that sales schedule on a Monday afternoon. As for lockdown, we, we haven't missed the market. We're food chain business and the industry has worked together with the authorities to make, make sure this happens because it's a vital cog in the whole food chain. And actually prices have gone up 
dramatically of lamb and beef in that period of time. So dare I say it's been a positive thing for the market, the pandemic, um, and we're very pleased to be, for, be able to fulfil the role that we are here to do for our farmers ultimately. One subject that's very much in the news these days and for the right reasons is animal welfare and just earlier on we were looking at a couple of sheep where there was a question mark as to whether they should go through the auction or not. What do you do to ensure that the animals are as protected as they can be? Well, it's enshrined in legislation, so trading standards who we were discussing, they're here to enforce legislation, whether it be ear tags or animal welfare. We've dipped our feet in, in etc. TB and health, foot and mouth type precautions, so it's very heavily regulated. We're also a red tractor site, so red tractor standards, so we must maintain all that. So it's enshrined in law and in those protocols. I'm the animal welfare officer. I'm ultimately responsible for every animal as it's when it's on site. What we saw earlier was trading standards querying a decision that we had made to let animals go through the market we called our vet and uh, they called their vet and then they had a discussion and it was decided actually on balance that they were fine to go through um, we're here for the farmers the vendors ultimately but equally you know we're all stock people ourselves and we want to see and as do the farmers want to see the highest welfare standards so I think people can be rest assured that when they're buying animals in their butcher shop come through Lath and the majority of butcher shops in the county will at some point see animals that come through this market they need to know that we are red tractor standard you know we're all keen but i'm particularly keen to ensure that we operate at the highest possible standards because we're you know running a professional outfit and what else is the site used for i noticed on your website you're talking about trying to diversify and make use of the site if it's only used one day a week it's quite an extensive site what else do you well, do here uh, Louth folk will know that this site's been through the ringer several times. It could have been a Asda Walmart um, very easily. So going back now two or three years, there was a, a, a scramble and a legal battle which ultimately left us with our market intact um, and a new lease of life. Part of the politics of all this was that the townsfolk want to see the market use. So fireworks and fun fairs. We've had a we had a, a live. It's called livestock two day music festival that was here. There's a number of different other things, low key things that happen. So the council have been brilliant in supporting us, and you know Louth townsfolk have been able to to enjoy a bit better. So you know it's all helps the viability of the market site really. Um, with investment, we could do other things. There's talk, there's been talk of farm shops. There's been talk of all sorts of other things that could happen here. But that's for the future, really. The town wouldn't be the same without its market, and it would adversely affect the town itself, surely. So, fingers crossed, everything it goes well into 2022 for you. Oh, uh, well, I hope so. I mean, hopefully, things are set fair. Farmers do a fantastic job 24/7, and this is the day that they come and get paid for the the stuff that they produce. And um, the county need to know that it's in good hands, really. We look forward to your regular reports into yeah, the new year, so how the market's you'll going. You'll be hearing Oliver selling a little bit later, so he's the man doing that on a Sunday morning. So, All right, Simon, thank, thank you very you. much. Pleasure, thank you. So weekly reports from the sales at Louth starting on the 9th of January. A quietish time in the fields just now, but let's get an update and some timely advice from our crop doctor, agronomist Sean Sparling. Morning, Sean. Yes, good morning, Steve. I haven't got an awful lot to report, really. Things are very much unlikely to alter much in the coming few weeks as winter is here. Um, all seed rate then pretty much largely done now. Most of the fungicides are finished with. Propizamide is done on all but the most frothy and thick pieces of all seed rate with that big, thick canopy we're waiting to open up. And there's time enough to get the propizamide on between now and the end of January when the cutoff happens. And remember, you'll get a half-life of about 100 days out of propizamide 
outside in these cold, wet conditions of the soil. So time it to target the thing that you're going for, and that will primarily be blackgrass. Also, just take account that the bigger, more established blackgrass plants are much more likely to have deeper and more bulky root systems. Particularly relevant, I think, if you haven't done anything already about them so far this season. So keep the target as the priority, and if that means dropping in a graminicide, not clethodim, by the way, that has a cut-off at the end of November in it, you can't tank mix it with uh, propizomide anyway, then so be it. There are other graminicides out there. Slugs are still nagging at all seed rate fields in patches, just as they are in cereals, so regular monitoring and trapping are the best way to approach that one. Most of the all seed rate, to be fair, will stand a bit of slug grazing now, but do stay vigilant. Slugs don't know it's Christmas, after all. Diseases pretty much dealt with, as I say, in with the curb, and if you're putting fungicide in with the propizomide, remember you need a dryish leaf rather than the frosted or the wet leaf being okay if you're just putting straight propizomide on. Winter cereals then keep monitoring and mapping for aphids and slugs and come to that diseases too. It's also worth remembering that it takes a series of minus six degrees C frosts or lower to kill aphids. So if thresholds are still being reached and travelling is possible then consider treatment but speak to your advisor about that. But to be fair aphid levels are unlikely to alter that much in these cold conditions moving forward so speak to your advisor and make that call between you yellow rust still quite easy to find out there by the way and a cold winter will hold yellow rust at the levels that we can see out in the field it will kill mildew but it doesn't actually kill yellow rust the only way it will kill yellow rust is if it gets cold enough to actually kill the leaf that the yellow rust is on and that's pretty unlikely i think it's fair to say so map these fields and the problem areas by variety i can find it in kerin kinetic i can find it in saki actually and several others so stay vigilant on that one too lower levels of septoria than we've seen in recent years at this point but i'm pretty sure that that situation won't last until harvest black grass has also started pushing through as well pushing through some pretty tough pre-em stacks actually so remember you can top up your flufenacet to a maximum of 360 grams maximum per hectare but it needs to be on pre-emergence of the black grass to do any good in other words it won't do much good at all to any black grass which has already emerged but it may help stop any more coming winter beans emerging in fields that were drilled four or five weeks ago not a lot to consider really in the winter beans for the time being other than to say that if you still have winter beans to drill or plant then the optimum is late october to late november but modern winter bean varieties can still go in through december and january and even into february the problem with putting them in that late in late January and into February is that yields will definitely fall by up to 25% as a conservative estimate and seed rates would need to be increased if you go in that late up to spring bean levels of around 45 plants a square metre instead of the 25 plants a square metre or so of a true winter bean timed winter bean drill so still time is what I'm saying to you so that's pretty much that then it's wet it's murky and these foggy days don't really lend themselves to much drying out perfect conditions for slugs so do unto them with ferrous phosphate before they do unto you and we'll keep looking and we'll see what the next seven days bring thanks as ever sean that's sean sparling of sparling agronomy services
Success for another Lincolnshire farmer at the Yield Enhancement Network's recent awards. We're joined by Tim Lammyman this morning, winner of bronze, silver and gold in the wheat category and gold in winter barley. So, Tim, what kind of yields did you achieve? Average yield across the farm would be round about 12 tonne a hectare, depending on whether you're first or second wheat. We're lower down on the second wheat, it's round about 10 to 11 tonne a hectare. And in first weeks, we've done something stupid like about 14 tonne a hectare this year. So in the yen contest, um, we managed to do a 15.6, a 15.2 and a 15.1 tonne a hectare. And in the winter barley, we did 14.3 tonne a hectare and set a world record with that one while we're at it. $64,000 question, how did you do it? We start with looking at soil conditions and trying to get the perfect seed bed. You know, we've been using the same sort of system for the last 20, 22 years now, which is basically what I'd call intensive minimum tillage. So we don't do too much ploughing, only for winter barley when it's a seed crop so that you haven't got the volunteer of wheat in it. Uh, and then we sort of turn to looking to the spray side and fertilisers to maximise it. So I think I sort of led the revolution in the fertiliser industry of doing the little and often approach. It sort of started here. So we, we sort of either do four or five passes of um, fertiliser a year. If you get a heavy, lot of heavy rainfall at the back of it, it doesn't wash off the hills or anything. At least the crop got a chance to absorb it if you're doing it a little often approach. And then we move into the nutritional side, which is right into my forte. We work off the, the Liebeg sort of law in, in the nutrition side that if anything's limiting to the plant, it's going to cost you yield. So it might not necessarily be nitrogen that's limiting your, your factors. It could be anywhere in copper, zinc, even down to levels of, of iron, molybdenum, boron, depending on which crop it is. All these factors sort of affect the wheat yields. And I've been using Smart Nutrition from BioNature for the last 11 years now. Some of those products add extra things in there. So we use a Delta product, which produces cytokine in growth, uh, produces a fantastic root structure in the plant. That's basically what you're looking at, getting a lot more fibrous roots. Uh, this helps absorb more nitrogen. So most people look at it as a non-environmentally friendly way of farming. But actually, I think the, the approach we do is probably as green as, as most, because even though we're using more nitrogen than most, uh, we're able to capture that nitrogen and actually convert it into yield. So if you put that into the latest carbon calculator, I think we'd come out a lot better than most people think we would do um, that way around. Cover crops, are you using those at all? I think there's many, many problems with the, with the cover crop side, uh, and I'm not 100% convinced that's the right way to go for my farm. No, fair enough. And what seed are you using? We're trying to look at varieties that grow fairly well directly upright um, to capturing more sunlight. Uh, I like varieties that angle the leaves at 45 degrees and they don't have too big a leaf so that the flag leaf isn't massive. Uh, leaf two, leaf three and leaf four are similar size because we're able to keep all those leaves green. Uh, and so if, it's like everything else. If you put a solar panel, you wouldn't put it at 90 degrees. You'd put it at 45 degrees to capture sunlight. And I've got as technical as looking at that in wheat varieties. So some of the ones we're using at the moment is Theodore and Champion. Uh, we've got another one coming through called Redwald. These varieties um, seem to be able to capture quite a lot of sunlight uh, and the leaves are pretty even from top to bottom. So it's allowing the light to filter lower down. So you've got more, as I'd call it, solar panels capturing your light rather than just allowing the flag leaf to do it. You've got two or three leaves capturing sunlight. And this is helping to push us further on with the smart nutrition and some, some of the bits we're doing late season with the X stresses and the cow flux, keeping it greener for longer uh, with some you know fantastic new spray products like Revisol, helping to keep the septoria off there. And, and all those sort of products put together are helping us keep the plant greener for longer.
late harvest or are you harvesting at the same time as everybody else would be? It's pretty similar. Even though we are definitely greener for longer, you can you can quite clearly see that when you come to the farm. You know, most crops round us folded three weeks earlier. A lot of crops round, the wheat crops round us um, disintegrated with septoria, but we'd managed to use a decent enough fungicide programme to keep it green. And <clears throat> from this is what, what allowed to capture the sunlight. And obviously sunlight and water together equals yield. If you can hold out longer, you, you're instantly going to get more yield than persons whose crops um, disintegrated earlier. But actually in harvest dates, they seem to be pretty similar. We seem to be harvesting within a day or two of a neighbours. Now you're putting an awful lot of time and effort and money into developing the crops and you're getting a better yield. Is the bottom line right though? It definitely is at the moment, but it's like all good things when you make one of your main inputs, is, as in uh, nitrogen, has gone up uh, about 250% on last year. We've got to overlook and find where the, where the balance point is. So I'm not sure that we'll use as much nitrogen this year as we did last year. It, it's, it's like everything else. It's, it's a bit of a calculation job to see where, where you need to put it into the balance. But I'm not going to use 350 kilograms willy-nilly for, for, for everything if the job doesn't work it. So we, we will balance it back. Um, and definitely this year we're going to have to overhaul the costs. Tim, thanks very much for that. Fascinating stuff. Congratulations on the awards and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Thank you very much, Steve. That's Yield Enhancement Network Awards winner Tim Lammyman. Let's see how the markets have fared this week now with Open Fields Kit Dickinson. Morning, Kit. Well, good morning, Steve. Thursday saw the release of the monthly USDA report with expectations that wheat production will be increased in Canada, Argentina and Australia. How much of this finds its way into the exports is debatable with the logistics restrictions in Canada and Australia and the thorny question of whether Argentina can or will guarantee genetically modified free wheat is still to be answered. The likelihood is that the global ending stocks will increase slightly. What we do not expect is that the USDA will be more accurately reflect the EU and Russian exports, which combined are around 9 million metric tonnes too high, which is an unrealistic figure given the tight EU balance sheet and the Russian quota. Matif futures this week hit the buffers due to a firmer euro and 200,000 reduction of non-EU French exports and a subsequent increase in ending stocks by the French Agricultural Ministry weighing high on sentiment. It is somewhat ironic that French exports will be reduced in the same week that a six Panamax-sized vessel of feed wheat were reportedly sold to China, which is new business. Geopolitical issues are also weighing on sentiment, with the Biden-Putin meeting seemingly giving no satisfactory explanation for the Russian troop build-up on the Ukrainian border, whilst a political boycott of China's Winter Olympics does not appear to have stopped them mopping up record amounts of crude oil, fertiliser, copper, iron ore, wheat and soybeans, amongst other commodities. We are now moving into the notoriously thinly traded holiday period, which is accompanied by volatile market movements, starting with the USDA report that came out on Thursday. So looking at barley this week, the 21-crop malting barley market remains firm with solid demand from UK malsters, plus additional demand for the merchant trade looking to buy in their short positions. Demand for malt is good with most of the malting facilities working at full capacity and some having to turn away fresh malt orders. Beer sales globally are steady with three major international brewers. AB InBev, 12% up, Heineken, 4% up and Carlsberg, 7.5% up all showing increased sales year-on-year from the period of January 2021 to September. There is active interest in new crop from UK malsters, and although premiums over feed barley are not at levels of 21 crop, they are significantly above the five-year average. So please discuss marketing options for your 2022 crop with your Openfield Farm Business Manager. Oilseed rate this week saw values recover following last week's Omicron jitters. 
There have been very firm prices all week following strong Latif gains. These gains were further supported by sterling, which fell to its lowest position since mid-November, triggered by concerns about the UK government implementing tighter COVID-19 curbs, and crude oil strength has also been an impact. Midweek values are not far from the recent market highs, which may now be bringing sellers out who missed those highs last time round. Buyers have seemingly been mainly shorts and crushers because compound buyers have either stopped using because of all rate price itself, or they are completely out of ration, or they are only buying hand-to-mouth once product sales have actually been agreed. So looking at prices this week, there is a large spread between North and South Lincolnshire in terms of prices and indeed destination that crops will travel to. North Lincolnshire wheat is most likely to travel to the north. Bearing that in mind, wheat for December 208 to 218, February 215 to 224, May 217 to 227, November 190 to 197. Milling wheat premiums are currently circa £50. Feed barley for December 198 to 206, February 200 to 208, May 202 to 211, and feed barley November new crop 170 to 178. Malting barley premiums for old crop are circa 65 to 70 pounds for the very best samples. Oil seed rate for December 565 to 570, with quite a large uplift into February at 598 to 602. May 600 to 605 and new crop November 460 to 465. Many thanks, Kit Dickinson from Open Field. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. A mild, damp start to the week, just a light southwesterly for Sunday, some very light rain possible, highs of 12 Celsius and much the same overnight into Monday, which sees some rain forecast through the day. Again, a light breeze, highs around 10. Midweek sees a rise in pressure, rain likely on Tuesday, but mostly dry for the rest of the week. Not much wind to speak about and highs staying around 10 Celsius. The end of the week turns cooler, but staying dry and calm with some good sunshine. Next Sunday, the Louth Christmas tractor run takes place, raising funds for the Farming Safety Foundation, Yellow Wellies and their Mind Your Head campaign. We'll talk to organiser Taryn Lee on next week's programme. I'm Steve Orchard. Until then, have a good week.